You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. The master craftsman completely refashions the raw materials for his needs. He carefully measures, cuts the wood, and discards pieces he won't need. And begins to fit the pieces together into something new. It isn't there yet, but in the hands of the master, it will be. What was once discarded and damaged being transformed into something new. Well, just as there is a process for the craftsman to take the ode and to bring something new out of it, so it's true in our lives. We have the master craftsman being Jesus Christ, who by the work of the Holy Spirit is transforming our lives, right? We are citizens of the kingdom, and we're all in process. Are you with me? Anybody in process besides myself? When you see me mess up, just say, hey, pastor, still in process. Lord, help him, right? That's what I pray for you. They're still in process. Lord, help them before I kill them, right? No, I'm just kidding. But that's true. We're all in process. We're in the process of... Christ transforming our lives by the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're called to live out um, God's kingdom here on earth. As I've said through this series, we have a dual citizenship, right? We're citizens of the United States of America, this country in which we reside, which is, let me remind you, friends, it's temporal, right? This world and all that we know one day will pass away, but we're also citizens of heaven, citizens of God's kingdom, which is an eternal kingdom. And interesting is Jesus introduced the kingdom, and that's why Jesus came. He came, what, to establish God's kingdom on earth. He began by stating the values, the values of the kingdom uh, through what we know as the Beatitudes. As I said last week, the Beatitudes are not commands for us to follow, but they're a revelation of the ethos and the principles of the kingdom. So the Beatitudes reveal for us what God both blesses and what God rewards. They reveal how we are to live and how we're to act as we're following Jesus and living out his kingdom. The Beatitudes are kingdom values, kingdom values for us. You know, if something is a value for you, then it does this. It shapes your decisions, your actions, and how you live. If it doesn't shape your decisions, your actions, and why, how you live, then it's really not a value. You can say it's a value, but if you're not living it, it's really, it's really not a value. It's just words. So our values, our true values, what should shape the decisions we make, how we process life. But for example, here at Grace Covenant, we have a, a number of values that we hold as a church family. One of our values would be our children get our first and our best. It's a value that we have. And because of that value, if there's ever a discussion as to whether the adults or the children get the classroom, there's no decision to make. It's already been made. But the children get the best and the first. It's our value. 
You know, here at Grace Covenant, we value servant leadership. We believe that the model for leadership that we should follow is the model of Jesus himself. Therefore, at Grace, we're not into titles, we're not into positions, we're not into perks, we're not into special parking spots. Why? Because we value servant leadership. And it shapes, then, how we do life here. You can drive all over this campus and you're not going to find a sign that says special parking for the lead pastor. It's not here. Because it's, because that's not, our, that's not how we do life here. Here at Grace Covenant, we value generosity. We believe that it's actually better to give than it is to receive. And, and that marks then how we do life. So every month we give away literally not hundreds, but thousands of dollars in partnership with ministries that's impacting lives around the world. Why? Because we have this value that shapes the decision, it shapes the action, it shapes how we do life here in this community of Grace Covenant. So my point in these, in these illustrations is that, is that if you truly value something, then the actions naturally follow. Why? Because they align to your values. And I believe that's why Jesus, when he began his three years of earthly ministry, he didn't begin with all of these rules and regulations. He came and he began to say, hey, here's what the kingdom of God looks like. Here's the values, the values of the kingdom. We looked at two of these last week, so let me just remind you for those who were here, if you were not here, you can catch up, you can go back and listen. But last week we talked about the first Beatitudes. The first was, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who come to the end of themselves and realize their great need for God. Like we're in trouble without God. That's what the first beatitude um, speaks to us. The second was this. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are wrecked by their sins and the sins of the world because the sorrow then leads to repentance. And in repentance, it's there that we are comforted. Well, it was these values that Jesus communicated as he ushered in God's kingdom. And as his representatives, it's these values that we should be living on. It's these values that should shape how we process life. And this morning, we want to we look to the next three Beatitudes as identified as we're in this series, Thy Kingdom Come. So if you have your Bibles, you can look with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. If you don't have your Bibles, you can just look to the screen because it's on, on the screen for us. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will then be shown mercy. So as Jesus gives these beatitudes, he's focusing on the transformation of the heart by the arrival of the kingdom, which I've said will directly affect or bring about the transformation of the entire person, word, thought, action, and deeds. So it's, it's these kingdom values that Jesus spoke, and there's eight of them here in Matthew chapter 5, that should shape who we are and how we think, therefore defining, get this, how we do life, how we relate to others, and what we see as being valuable. So that's what these Beatitudes tell us, how, how we should relate, how we should be processing Life. So let's look deeper into each of these three that I've just read about this morning. The first, or excuse me, actually it would be the third. The third beatitude that Jesus gave is, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So what does that mean? 
What does it mean to be meek? What does it look like to be meek? You know, today in our culture, especially in the marketplace, we place high value on the one who can make it happen, the one who can get it done, right? Those are the ones that we applaud. It's the domineering, the aggressive, the harsh, the tyrannical that are sought out. It's those who attempt to dominate the earth and establish their own little kingdom. And the problem is, though, that it's all temporary. And it's the opposite of the way of the kingdom. Jesus said, blessed are those who are gentle. Blessed are those who are meek, because they, they will inherit the earth. So what does meekness mean? To be meek does not suggest weakness. Does not, when we're gentle, it doesn't suggest that we're, we're weak. To be meek means being submissive to God's will and His ways, not assertive on our own. As Jesus used the term, we can understand meekness as this, controlled strength, controlled strength. Interesting, if you were to dig deeper into um, the original language, the Greek text, the word for meek is praos, praos. And it's actually the same word, get this, it's the same word that's used when someone's talking about breaking a stallion. Think about that. Think about the power, the strength of a horse, a stallion. It's a power that's out of control until that animal is what? Until it's broke. In the process, a cowboy or someone who doesn't have uh, a lot of sense gets on the back of a wild horse, right? Like, that's not me. That may be you, but that's not me. Gets on the back of a wild stallion, and in the process, usually several times they're, they're bucked off, right? If you've ever seen that process happen. But there's a process of taming this stallion, and here's the goal. Not to lose the strength of the horse, not to lose the strength of the stallion, but to bring that strength under control. So, so that when that rider gets on that horse with the direction of the reins, he can take it to the right or to the left. Stop or go. What? It's power under control. So think about that. Same word that's used for breaking a stallion is the word that Jesus uses here about meekness. To be meek is what? It's power under control. Now, a couple great illustrations that kind of help us see this picture of meekness. It's interesting. The scripture says this of, of Moses. I think it's Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, that says Moses was um, the most meek man in all of the earth. Now, what we know of Moses is Moses was not like a weak leader. He was a leader of confidence and courage. Matter of fact, he, his name is, goes down in history, the history of Israel as being one of the greatest leaders ever. Yet God would say of Moses, there's no one that's as meek as Moses. Not a man who was weak, but a man who had brought himself under this mission of the lordship. And the leadership of God. Strength under control. Here's a great illustration of what meekness looks like. It would be Jesus Christ himself. I think you would agree with me that Jesus was meek, but he wasn't weak. I mean, think about this. All in the, all in the picture of kind of the last scene of Jesus' life before going to the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. His adversaries come to arrest him and he has this one disciple that pulls out a sword, cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And get, get this, this is what Jesus says to Peter. He says, you know, don't use the sword. He says, hey, I could call ten legion of angels and we could end all of this right now. But it, then he says, how would Scripture be fulfilled? When Jesus was submitted to the will of the Father. When Jesus was on trial before Pilate, listen, he could have freed himself. 
He could have freed himself from the Roman rule, but he didn't while he was submitted to the will of the Father. When he was on the cross, when he was on the cross, he could have called all of heaven to his aid, but he didn't. Because he was submitted to the will of the Father. It was strength under control. That, my friends, is the picture of, of meekness. So being meek is not being weak. It's bringing your will, your strength, your ability, and submission to God's will and God's way. It's living your life submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And as we bring our will under the leadership, the Lordship of God's will, then Jesus said, it's the meek who then inherit the earth. Now, it's interesting in this term, the meek will inherit the earth. It would seem, and we don't know this, but it would seem that Jesus was actually tying this back to a passage of Scripture in Psalm 37, verse 9. Listen to how this reads, verse 9 through 11. It says, For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. In a little while, and the wicked will be no more. And though you look for them, they will not be found. But notice is the meek will inherit the land. And enjoy great peace. The meek inheriting the land. So when we bring our lives under the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ, when we take our gifts, our strengths, our abilities, and we bring it under the leadership of Christ, it's then that he can work in and through our lives. It's then that we inherit that of God's plans and God's promises. So the meek, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The fourth beatitude, in the fourth beatitude, Jesus said this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. In this beatitude, Jesus is addressing spiritual appetite. And he ties it to something that we can like readily understand and relate to, being food and water, Right? We can all relate to that. When you're hungry, what do you do? Come on, don't get shy on me. When you're hungry, what do you do? You find something to eat, right? When that stomach is growling, it sends a message to the brain that says, find something, right? Go to the refrigerator, go to the pantry, go to the restaurant, find something. When you're hungry, you find something to eat. And the same way, when you're thirsty, what do you do? You find something to drink. If you've been out working in the yard all day, it's hot, uh, you've been sweating, the ladies have been perspiring, uh, and that process is what? You, you get dehydrated. And in that process, what? There's a thirst. You get thirsty. And when you're thirsty, what do you do? You find something to drink, right? You find water, you find iced tea, you find Gatorade, you find what well, you find something. So Jesus says here, he connects that to our spiritual appetite. Not so much like our stomach, but our spiritual appetite. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness. Now, interesting, Jesus here is not talking about positional righteousness, okay? We're not seeking out positional righteousness. It's important. I think it's important for us to understand that. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were made righteous. Are you with me? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him, being Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I don't have to work to be right with God. Positionally, through Christ, I am right with God. I am righteous before God. You are too, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior. So we would say, positionally speaking, you are 
right, you are righteous before God. So this beatitude is not so much talking to us positionally as it is practically. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. For those who are working out or living out righteousness. So Jesus says, just as we're motivated to find food and water to satisfy our bodies, so we should be motivated to pursue right, to pursue righteousness. And just as you keep seeking out food, you should keep seeking out righteousness. How many of you know a meal a week doesn't work? Are you with me? Like, I need three meals a day and snacks in between. Right? So it's that ongoing pursuit of right. It's not like, well, I need a glass of water a week. No, you need six to eight glasses of water a day. It's that ongoing, that ongoing hunger, that ongoing thirst. In other words, we are, in an ongoing way, we are motivated, what? To do righteousness. To act righteously. It's interesting. It's interesting that the word for righteousness carries with it the idea of justice. As such, I think this beatitude has two applications. The first is this. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice because they've been treated unjustly will be filled. In other words, our God who is just and and righteous will act on behalf of those who are unjustly treated, bringing his comfort and his provision as they hunger and thirst for righteousness. In other words, God will meet them in their unrighteous, unjust situation. And we see this illustrated in the life of Joseph. If you remember, Genesis 37 and following is the story of Joseph. A young man who did right yet was done wrong. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. Talk about injustice. And as he's in slavery, he was pursued by the boss's wife, and he continued to say, no, 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 no. Finally, he ran. He was doing right, yet he was falsely accused, and he lands in prison. Talk about injustice. Seemingly forgotten in prison, and then one day it's like God flips the script, and he goes from prison to the palace in one day. But God turned his situation. God, who is just, working his righteousness for those who are unjustly treated. It's interesting in Joseph's story, three different times the scripture says, and God was with Joseph. Where? In the injustice. In the unrighteous acts carried out with him. Where was God? God was with him. And so he is with us. Blessed are those who find themselves in that unjust situation. And that God who is just work on their behalf. I think a second application is that those who strive for righteousness or justice, we should be those who strive for righteousness or justice in the way we live our lives. And as we do that, we will be filled. So citizens of the kingdom who represent a righteous and just God, we are called to work for righteousness and justice, to work at, to work for. Listen, the working out of our faith, the working out of our faith, and we're going to get to this in a couple of months a little deeper as we get into the book of James. We're going to do a, an eight-week study in the book of James. But James is very clear in this. If your faith is genuine, if your faith is authentic, if your faith is real, then you have to take these very values that Jesus is talking about and work them out in your life and care for the oppressed, the needy, the orphans. James says it like this, pure religion that's undefiled before God the Father's this is to care for the orphans and the widows and to keep yourself unpolluted from the world. 
Micah 6, 8 says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you to do this? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And Isaiah 1, 17 says, Stop doing wrong and learn to do right. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the followers. Plead the case of the widow. So as citizens of the kingdom, and that's who we are. Who are we? We're citizens of the kingdom. We should be motivated to act and work for righteousness and biblical justice. Listen, just as we would hunger for food after missing a meal or two, or just as we would be thirsty for water, that, that thirst that would motivate us. So Jesus says, this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom. You're motivated to act for righteousness. You're motivated to act for biblical justice. To do, to do that which is, is right. And in that, Jesus said, here's the reward, you'll be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I think here, there's two meanings of what Jesus was saying. The first is, is that we're filled. There's a fulfillment that comes in our lives. Listen, in my years of life, in my years of ministry, I've had a lot of opportunities to go out and and do good works, just to bless others. And, and probably you do too. I mean, you, you could tell your stories as well as I could tell mine. But this is what I've discovered. Every time I go and act for righteousness, or I go and act for justice, I go and, and do that which is right, there's always a fulfillment. There's, 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 a, um, there's a pouring into my soul. There's a life that comes. Well, there's a filling that God does in my life. And same for you. And we will be filled. Not only that, I think the second, the second of this is as we, as we work for righteousness, as we work for justice, there's the goodness of God, the goodness that he brings for our lives. It's interesting in this same sermon, Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6.33, so we're talking same context, Jesus says this, but seek ye first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. He says, all these other things that God knows you need, he's going to take care of it as you seek his kingdom and his rightness, righteousness. So there's a feeling. It's the goodness of God coming back into our lives. So a paraphrase of this beatitude might read like this. Oh, the bliss of a person who longs for total righteousness as a starving person longs for food. And a person perishing for thirst longs for water, for that person will be truly satisfied. Satisfying of the soul. Well, here's the fifth beatitude that that Jesus shared about the value of the kingdom in verse 7. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who operate out of mercy, for they will receive the mercy of God. You know, today when we hear the word mercy and we think of of compassion now now mercy should generate compassion in our lives but the word mercy here in the text is much deeper than just that of of feeling sorry for or being compassionate for the greek word here is elimon and the hebrew word is kesed the, the mercy the mercy of god and it means the ability get this the ability to get right inside the other person's skin until we can see things with his eyes think things with his mind and feel things with his feelings clearly this is much more than an emotional wave of pity it's that 
feeling of, that being moved by the the, uh, the need of someone. I think we see God's mercy revealed through Jesus Christ. And that God sent his son to what? To become like us. So that he would experience life as we experienced it. And that he might give his life that we might be what? And we might be forgiven. What? Through the mercy of God. Because of the mercy of God, here's the good news. We don't get what we deserve. Can I get an amen on that? Listen, we don't want what we deserve. What do we want? We want God's mercy. God's mercy means this, is that we don't get the punishment we deserve. What do we get? We get grace. We get life. Listen, not because we've been good, but because God, because God has been, because God is merciful. Ephesians 2, 4 says, but because of his great love for us, God who is, get this, rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you have been saved. So friends, rather than giving us what we deserve through Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven. We can receive mercy. And just as we have received mercy, then every one of us in this room has received the mercy of God. As we have received mercy, now we are to give mercy, to live that mercy out. Now, it's been said that relationships thrive not because the guilty are punished, but because the innocent are merciful. Think about that. Marriages thrive. Let me bring it a little closer to home. Marriages thrive. Not because the guilty are punished, but because the innocent are merciful. Family relationships thrive. Not because the guilty is punished, but because the innocent are merciful. As we receive God's mercy, we're called to live that mercy out. Matter of fact, Colossians 3, 13 and 14 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord's forgiven you. Or give mercy to others the way God's given mercy to you. Blessed are the merciful, for they for they will receive mercy. I think we also show mercy not only when we give grace to others, but we also show mercy when we initiate acts of kindness to anyone in trouble. So just think about that. Think about people in trouble in our community, people that you may know. When we move toward that need, what is that? It's, it's mercy. Mercy that compels us to act. The interesting story, you can check this out in Luke chapter 10. There's a religious leader who asked Jesus this question. He says, Master, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, what does the law say? He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Interesting, then the religious leader the scripture says he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Who's the one that I should show mercy to? What does that look like? And Jesus tells this story, the parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. He says, there's this man who's headed from Jerusalem down to Jericho. As he's on his way, he's attacked by robbers. He's, um, he's beat, he's abused, and he's left half dead. Here's a man half dead. And in Jesus' story, he says, hey, there's this priest that comes by. There's this church man that comes by and sees the man in need. And the scripture says he passes by on the other side. And then there's the Levite who comes along, sees the same situation. Here's a man half dead. If someone doesn't do something, he's going to die. And the scripture says he passes by on the other side. 
And then there's a Samaritan. You have to understand that Samaritan and Jews were not best friends. There was some animosity. There was some hatred between Jew and Samaritan. Yet Jesus chose the Samaritan in this story. The contrast is amazing. Samaritan comes along. He sees this man in need. And the scripture says that he went to him and he, and he took oil and he cleaned, cleaned up his wounds and he bands him, put him on his own donkey, took him to the end, took out of his own pocket and paid the bill. At the end of the story, Jesus said to the religious leader, you tell me, who was, who was the neighbor to the man in need? And the religious leader, interesting, he couldn't even say it was the Samaritan. He says it was the one who showed mercy. Interesting, this is what Jesus said, get this, he says, go and do likewise. Go and live mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful, for in that their lives will be full of that of God's mercy. So we have these three Beatitudes Three, five, uh, three, four, and five. And blessed are the meek, those who come under the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ. For that one, Jesus said, will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, those who are motivated to do that which is right, for they will be filled by God. And blessed are those who are merciful, those who give grace instead of judgment and reach out to help those in need, for for they open their lives to the mercy and the goodness of God. It's these, my friends, that are the values of the kingdom. So when we say we're citizens of God's kingdom, then Jesus is saying, then, friends, this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom. We choose meekness, that of lives submitted to the Lordship of Christ. We choose to pursue that which is right and righteous. And we choose to live out mercy any and every opportunity that comes our way. The Beatitudes really describe this, God's radical reconstruction of the heart and define what it looks like to represent his kingdom. Listen, it's no, it's no casual shift of attitude. It's a demolition of the old structure and the creation of a new. It's God's kingdom happening in and through our lives every day where we live. And this is what I know this morning, certainly true in my own life, and I would think it's probably true in your life. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to live out these kingdom values. Listen, more than just coming and talking about it, I think it's great to get into God's Word. I do that every day. I think it's great to hear about God's Word as we've done this morning. We've looked to the very words of Jesus. But more than that, may we be those who live these, that these values would shape, would define how we do life as kingdom citizens. Holy Spirit, we need help, right? We need help to live meekness, to live meek. We need help to live right. We need help to live out mercy, to live out the very mercy that we've received from God. That that would happen through our lives. We need help. That's what I know. So let's pray about it. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning. 
that you give us this clear picture of what it looks like to live as citizens of the kingdom. And this morning, we just recognize, Lord, in and of ourselves, we're not able. So, Holy Spirit, this morning, we would simply ask for those here, for those watching online, Holy Spirit, we would ask that you would help us not just be those who talk about the Beatitudes, who talk about these kingdom values, but Holy Spirit, would you help us live to flesh out these values every day in our marriages, in our homes, in our families, in our workplace, in our community. Holy Spirit, help us to live out meekness. Strength under control, submitted and surrendered to you, to the leadership of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, help us to, to do right, to, to live righteousness, to stand for what is right and just. Holy Spirit, help us to take the very mercy of God that we've received. And to live that out in our relationship with others. Lord, may our lives be marked by these values of the kingdom. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.